Hi everyone, it's always wonderful to be here. Uh, welcome to Russia's Living, the platform aimed at helping us to keep reminding ourselves who we are in God and what God desires us to be all the time. Uh, today we'll continue on what we were talking about here uh, last week. We'll continue on the topic, how can one maintain a righteous life both in public and in private. Pastor Jensen, welcome to the platform. Thank you so much. Always an honor and a privilege to be on this platform. Okay, so um, I would love to welcome our online audience. Last week, I tackled the issue of um, how we can effectively get to a place where we, we live for the Lord. I love how you introduced the program. You know, this is a reminder of who we are and what is expected of us. So I gave um, a slight difference between righteousness and holiness. And I began to talk about how disconnecting from the world is one of the effective ways that will help us to live for the Lord. I feel sometimes we loosely talk about these things such that people don't really understand what it means to be disconnected from the world. So I'm going to mainly uh, focus on that. So as believers, we mainly have three enemies, and that is our flesh. Our flesh is our inner enemy, is the enemy within. Then we have Satan himself, our adversary, our many adversary. Then we also have the world which is our outer or outside enemy. So today I'll talk about the world. So let's start from First John chapter 2 verse 15 to 17 quickly. The Bible says do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So it's very clear that we are instructed not to love the world. Even in James chapter 4, verse 2, 4, we are taught that he that is a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So if you are a friend of God, you will be an enemy of the world. James chapter 4 verse 4. So now, the world in this context, I must be clear, does not refer to the beautiful things that God has created in this world. It's not talking about us hating flowers, maybe the beautiful sunrise, the beautiful sunset, water bodies and so much for the birds, the animals, the mountains. No. The world in this context refers to an evil system that dominates society that is contrary to the ways of God. Now, the term world is sometimes used in the Bible to refer to people. Like in John 3.16 where we are taught 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So, when the Bible is telling us to not love the world, the Bible is not telling us to begin to hate people because God loves people. That's why he even gave his son to die for the people. So, what kind of a world are we talking about? What is this world that we are not supposed to love? This is the man-centered way of life which ignores God, which operates by selfish principles and lives by ungodly standards. That's the kind of world that we are talking about. Now, the philosophy of the world tells us that one thing that is very important in this life is life itself. So that's the reason why people are always looking for what is going to make sense in their life because they believe life is the most important thing. But then, if you are to read the word of God, you will notice there are places in the word of God where Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. So it is something bigger than what we, we know on the surface. So the world has a way of life that looks so exciting, so seductive, so colorful in nature. So as a result, many people are taken by what the world offers and they are entangled by worldly activities. So our main scriptural focus, which is First John chapter 2 verse 15 to 17, Worldliness in two, three categories. So we are taught that this world that is being talked about, there is a lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and lust of the flesh. Okay, so now those are things that I will try to just explain today and not take much of your time. Let's start. What is this lust of the flesh? The flesh refers to the physical nature of human beings. So the lust of the flesh is simply a craving or the undue desire for anything that pleases or gratifies the human nature, the human senses, human emotions. So on the lust of the flesh, you will nicely and fully understand when we tackle the aspect of the flesh as a topic on its own. So I'm not going to delve much into it. Because if I just give you surface information pertaining what the flesh is, or what the lust of the flesh is all about, you are not going to fully understand. Because it's a topic on its own. Like I mentioned, the flesh is our inner enemy, the enemy within. So probably in our next episode, I can talk about the flesh. So let's go to the second thing that we find under the world, the lust of the eyes. What is this thing? Simply put, we, we're talking about materialism. This is where we have a covetous itching, you know, to own whatever we see with our eyes, to possess and to have whatever we see with our eyes. The last of the eyes is the, unself, uh, the selfish desire that rises when we see things 
which we don't really need them, but we strongly feel like we want them. That's the last of the eyes. It is also the longing to possess, the strong desire to get or to acquire whatever our eyes admires. The last of the eyes is dreaming about something new which we someday hope to have. The last of the eyes must be tempted because it is what has landed many people in trouble. Now one, one man says the last of the eyes is the undue desire to get things we don't need with the money we don't have to impress the people we don't like. So there is a place where you are just living life to, to impress people not even care. You begin to live above your means because there is a certain life standard that you want to have. So the last of the eyes must be tempted. If you have to look at the sin that Adam and Eve committed, it can be traced to what Eve admired. Genesis 3 verse 6, the Bible says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, with her and he, he also ate. So you are able to see that Adam was influenced by Eve and Eve was influenced by what she saw with her eyes. That is why Job made a covenant. I made a covenant with my eyes. Not to look at a woman with lust. You can decide. Admiring is not a problem. But there is a kind of admiring that is not of God. When you go beyond you can appreciate what is beautiful, but you should not allow witchcraft now engulf your heart to allow jealousy to now begin to uh, spill over for you to want to have whatever you see. That is the last of the eyes. So it's not bad to admire and appreciate, but the desire to have everything that you see is what can actually make you become wicked. Because you will get to a place where you can do anything just to have everything that you see with your eyes. That is the last of the eyes. The pride of life. The pride of life refers to as egotism or egocentric kind of a life. This is the desire to push your own prestige or to push yourself up above others. It is the desire to exalt your own reputation, your abilities, your selfish ambitions. It is an attempt to get into the spotlight, to be shining above the people around us. It is the desire to be cheered for, to be clapped for, and to be highly respected. So the pride of life is also what causes us to act who we are not. The pride of life is what causes people to also live above their means. Is what causes people to begin to live a fake life. And I always say a fake life is expensive to maintain. Because in order for you to portray the picture you are not, 
you will always need to have the money you don't have. So, people will change even their step. They will change the way they talk. Uh, they, they, they will change their dresses, the kind of food they eat, the places they go to, who they hang out with and so much more, so that they can maintain a certain prestige. That is the pride of life. So, beloved says, pride is not of God. Don't forget, pride is the first sin that ever invaded heaven. And pride is what caused Lucifer and a third of angels to be chased from heaven. Humility is the fruit of the spirit. So the world exerts its influence on us using these things. What we desire with our flesh. What we admire with our eyes. And the desire to be certain, or to, be, to become certain powerful individuals. Now as we close, let me share three ways that you can use to overcome this enemy called the world. Number one, we must constantly and consistently refuse to be guided by the standards of the world. The word of God has got its own definition of right and wrong. The world also has got its own what? Definition of right and wrong. So you must deny to be guided by the standard of this world. The standard of this world is not the standard of the word of God. So the majority of people are swimming along and they are dancing along. They are doing what others, what everybody else seems to be doing. But as believers, we must de-associate ourselves from the wicked system of the world. We must de-associate ourselves from the obsession and the seduction of the world. We have been called not to fit in, but to stand out. Number two, we must avoid close and intimate relationships with worldly people. If we are to effectively overcome the world, we must overcome, we must avoid close relationships with worldly people. James 4 verse 4 tells us, whoever is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. So if you are a friend of God, you cannot befriend worldly people. Because the people you entertain around your life will determine the habits that will be forming on the inside of you. So acquaintance is one thing. You can have classmates, you can have workmates, you can have neighbors, but I'm talking about close friendship with worldly people. James, I mean Amos chapter 3 verse 3, the Bible tells us that two people cannot work together unless they agree on which direction they are going to take. So please, please, if you want to overcome the world, Start by minding the people that you keep around you. The world you entertain will soon be the world that will enter you. Last but not the least, how can we effectively overcome this enemy called the world? We must clearly and openly confess as well as show that we are Christians on all occasions. Everywhere we go, 
people must know that we are believers. We must not hide it. I have seen many people compromise because they hid their identity. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He was saying, I am not ashamed of who I am. So we must not be ashamed of who we are when we go to school, when we go for work, when we are doing business. People must know that you are a Christian who is a businessman. You are a Christian who is a student. So that is what comes first. When you know who you are, when you are proud of who you are, it is going to save you. It will protect you. And it will also attract the people around you. So the world around you must know you are a Christian, you are a believer. We must not be ashamed of our identity. We need to remain faithful to the core. We need to, be, to remain truthful to this Christianity, to this thing that we have believed everywhere we go. If people can see what we claim in the way we live, it will be easier for them to believe what we have believed. So I think we are going to end here for today. I want you to look forward to next week as we are going to continue. I hope and pray you've been blessed. It's my prayer that God is going to help us to live righteous and holy lives to and for the glory of his name. May God bless you. Shalom, shalom.